0: Hey, what's up, everyone? My name is Ross Gassman, joined by my partner, Julio Marine, and we're the founders of Lineup Digital, an entertainment digital marketing agency specializing in live entertainment and music marketing. In the Lineup Digital podcast, we'll discuss entertainment marketing strategies that we've learned along the way, and hear from the industry's top marketers, creatives, and owners. Together, we'll be taking a deep dive into the necessary marketing tactics, tips, and tricks. That will help you sell out your next event or amplify your next release hey everyone welcome to the lineup digital podcast episode number six with a very special guest joining us all the way from melbourne we have amber horsborough Uh, amber is a music marketing consultant Uh, in her past life she worked at downtown records and big spaceship Um, she's worked with brands such as samsung youtube axe google play mtv sonos and artists such as Chet Faker, Mike Snow, Cold War Kids, Muramasa, and Smino. Currently, Amber writes about music and strategy at Deep Cuts, which all of you should definitely subscribe to, and we'll have that linked in the description. So without further ado, Amber, welcome.
1: Thank you so much. That was such a warm welcome.
0: Awesome, awesome, awesome. Well, we have to give you a warm welcome since it's 8 (laughs) AM where you are, so good morning. I'm an
1: early riser, I don't mind.
0: Awesome. So, yeah, I think it would be great to start off just kind of telling us more about who you are. I know I gave you a little intro, but it would be great to hear from you and, and tell the the listeners about you.
1: Yeah, for sure. Um, so, I've been working in music for a, a little bit. Um, I used to run strategy and marketing at Downtown Records in New York uh, and then went out on my own um, to consult and started working with artists and labels and and brands about music strategy and setting up campaigns um in 2018 i started deep cuts which is which was really just meant to be a a dump for all my kind of thoughts and feelings about music marketing um i felt like there was lots of when i was at the label i felt like there was uh, a lot of information out there for kind of diy and hobbyists um and there's a lot of you know, resources for you know your top top level pop stars but there's not there's not that much in that middle band where you've got an artist who's like going from like 60 to 100 um which is really what downtown's roster of a lot was um was like so i started kind of jotting down my ideas um and my strategies and tactics and tools and um it kind of took off which was which was nice and uh through through the newsletter i started getting asked to just kind of look at different things so like artists would be like oh, can, you know my labels put this together does this make sense or what would you do in this situation so i decided to go out on my own moved to la um for a whole minute i uh, started working with all different types of clients so um you know major labels um who had all the resources all you know, all around the world to independent artists who had did, did distribution deals and assembled their own SWAT teams to like individual artists of one. And I started to realise like my theories that I had kind of developed from strategy in the brand world working on like Samsung and YouTube and Google Play, which a lot of which I would apply to artists, um, doesn't necessarily work for like, you know, businesses of one or... People that have got different team makeups. Like every artist, every artist is different, and the goals are different. The team is different, Um, and I think as a consultant, you need to uh, fit in, not necessarily go in and change or make people adhere to what you do. So, um, yeah. So started working with lots of different people, um, and then have since uh, since started working on a, a school a. School of Deep Cuts, which I should be launching soon. And that's going to be basically taking kind of my freelancing that I was doing and trying and applying it to many people, giving, making, um, formalizing more of the education part of Deep Cuts, which should be, should be good.
0: Awesome. Well, that's, that's great. We'll definitely be getting into your course um, more later where people, you know, you can tell people more about it. Um, We talked about it a little earlier, which, Sounds amazing um, for managers, but we'll we'll get to that in a little bit. It was good that you mentioned taking some of the learnings from the brand work that you've done and applying it to artists and artist teams. Um, and you do tweet about, which we 100% agree about, is like, if you're an artist, you kind of got to treat yourself and your team as a startup, right? Um, especially if you're not involved in the label world, if you're doing everything mm. independent. How have you seen or what tactics and strategies have you seen that's translated pretty seamlessly from like brand marketing strategies over to artist marketing?
1: It was so funny. So I was hired initially at downtown with the idea of bringing the strategic rigor of an ad agency to an independent label setup, which to me was a dream brief because I had worked in music before I was in the brand side, been at MTV and EMI records when that was a thing and, you know, touring in Australia and stuff. Um, and, but I think I spent the first six months, like, really trying to push what works in the brand world to music and the two don't. There are there are definitely um, ways that brands do things that definitely apply to artists, but there are also things that are, like, total fluff and waste of time. So, like, I was spending the first probably six months creating decks and big presentations and sending them to managers and artists. And they're like, can you just put this in an email? Can you just make this easy for me? Um but I think a lot of the things that do work um, is certainly around like um, brand strategy and carving out like white spaces and um, figuring out the kind of mood entry points and, and also thinking about like what a piece of music is used for and how you can create like emotional like emotional triggers and mental cues for what to play an artist and and to kind of to stand out um, also, I think a lot of the research and, and like data and rigor that goes into kind of brands and also like when agencies have got to sell work to brands, they have to justify everything. Um, and I think a lot of that can be applied to music and uh, you know there's great tools out there that are doing that and a lot of companies that are kind of solving that problem like chart metric and um, folks like that. Uh, so I think we'll see more of that as well but um, I think where it falls over is with a brand you have a set of brand guidelines and it's the consistency and almost like the sameness that makes it work like the same use of color and the same use of a tagline whereas an artist is a person they change they have a narrative that evolves um, and that's not something that's almost akin to like a movie or the way you would promote a movie rather than a brand if that makes sense.
2: So keeping on that same string, Amber, what would you recommend to uh, the modern sort of artists who may have seen some sort of success on TikTok, for example, where they're getting some sort of recognition and they're just starting out and they have really no idea what they're doing. How could we apply those learnings to those types of artists and what would you recommend to them?
1: I think the TikTok artist is, um, I think, a really challenging one because I think, the main, I don't know, the main issue I see with, um, if you you know develop a career on TikTok and then crossover is the idea of like artist development versus track development. And I think we see this in streaming um, more holistically where it's, a track can grow really, really quickly and take off and take on its life of its own through kind of UGC and, um, and people like remixing and remaking it and bringing it into culture but then the artist might not actually be on the same paced track for development as the single is. And then the music industry itself is set up in a way to develop artists in a particular way. Um, but I think that what, like, I think that, you know, the artist development that's required to become an artist in like, you know, in a, in like a chart perspective is really different to how it happens on TikTok. And, So I think the skill set that's like typically needed for a mainstream pop star and their training differs to what you might see go on TikTok. And I think those lines are becoming more and more blurred as TikTok develops, but I think it's still in its very early days. So my advice to like an artist that kind of blows up on TikTok is, and and if they have the goal of becoming, you know, mainstream or like crossover to kind of mainstream, um, like centrist pop, would be like to accelerate very quickly on like the development within the traditional means of artist development um because I think the worst thing that you can happen to an artist is they the track that they have becomes bigger than themselves and I mean that's like the problem with every like one hit wonder which is like a track becomes so big the artist isn't developing at the same pace so they're what they might have developed, their like sound and their way of performing and their way of communicating and acting with fans and their perspective and um like, you know, vision of what they want and what they want to put into the world hasn't been developed. But then all of a sudden they have all this like commercial and like cultural pressure to maintain this same level of virality that their track got. Um, and they might not necessarily have the tools. So I think probably surrounding yourself with a team that can help um, fill in your weak spots and help develop you um, on an accelerated pace as, as your like, music career takes off would be my advice.
2: I definitely agree on surrounding yourself with a team. I think it's a brand new world we're in and it's imperative for these sort of artists to get some sort of management and uh, point them in the right direction. You know, start off with the fundamentals such as What's your narrative? What do you sound like sonically? And what are your goals? Who, mm-hmm. who do, would you like to target? And what do you eventually want to become? So even starting with those fundamental questions can really frame the journey and I think the overall brand strategy for these artists. So TikTok has become a premier music discovery platform. Uh, you can even argue that it's, it's up there contending with YouTube what other music discovery platforms have you been keeping your eye
1: on? Oh, this is really boring, but probably just TikTok and YouTube. I feel like I I feel like um Yeah, I feel like the the way that artists are popping off it's it's all like TikTok, YouTube streaming. It's like streaming and social first, and then that's all that becomes kind of um almost like an MVP for labels to pick it up and then invest in it, whereas before it was You'd have R's who would like scout talent and then invest and then bring it to market. Whereas now it's like these artists are coming to labels with a built in fan base and, um, you know, a handful of streams to say, like, invest in me. It's not going to be as risky an investment as like picking somebody up straight from, you know, a show or something like that. But um, mm-hmm. in terms of platforms, I don't have that much more to add
0: yeah well soundcloud too like has kind of just died off where i mean at least for us and and for me personally that was like the premier discovery platform for a while um and there really hasn't been something like that social and that discoverable Mm. like until TikTok. and it's crazy that soundcloud
1: had the perfect or has like the perfect platform where it's like it's social and streaming whereas everything else is kind of like Spotify's got no social function built into no. it. It's like an end destination. And like, for a music discovery point of view, it's pretty uncompelling. Like, it's like you're looking at a basically a spreadsheet, a gray spreadsheet of tracks, whereas you don't get any of like the visuals that you get on YouTube or the community on commentary and stuff, um, whereas SoundCloud kind of had all that and the, and the sharing functionality. I think it's like still a yeah, great platform.
0: Yeah, no, for sure. The discovery, I mean, at least the algorithm, like in in terms of discovery is definitely lacked and has been just put to shame by by TikTok, which is unfortunate because SoundCloud, like you said, does have the platform to do it. Um, And if Spotify would adapt something like that or adopt something like that, it would be insane.
1: I do think TikTok's still quite early in terms of discovery, like music discovery. I think music still plays kind of, not a secondary role, but... Like, people are on TikTok for the content and for the creators um, right now. And I think it's that's definitely changed. Like, I think music's become more, like, to uh, of the forefront um, within the last year. Like, COVID's been, like, the great accelerator of everything. And I think that TikTok's really benefited from everyone being on their phones and stuff. But I think it's still pretty early days to see, the like, the true potential of TikTok as a music discovery platform rather than, like, content and people and creators
0: cool so something we definitely want to get into is something that you're a big advocate about is is audience ownership and owning a lot of first-party data rather than than relying on some of the third-party services such as facebook and google and really when you're starting a marketing campaign for a release or an album or single um rather than starting over again right with cold audience Mm -hmm. how do you really attract that fan data um That you're going to have at your core and who you're going to engage basically more organic um than paid most of the time because if you're reaching them like i'm sure you'll talk about but you're not going to want to pay to reach your fans that are already your fans right so how do you extract all that first party data and and what are the, the kind of some strategies to do it
1: yeah and it's not so much just paying to reach fans it's more of like having to start over so if you don't own your audience or you don't own the connection or the relationship or don't have the ability to reach your fans it's like with every campaign that you're starting with you're starting from scratch and it's more expensive to reach new people than it is to reach or develop existing fans but like with any artist the churn of fan is really is like quite high because you know people move on and yeah you know it's it's difficult to retain the same level of audience with every single release so you really need to be building upon everything that you do and when you don't own if you have a successful campaign like say you put out an album it does really well you amass all these fans you become you know cornerstone of culture and all that stuff and then you come up with the next album and it isn't as successful as the last one and you haven't like put all those people into a pool then you're going to be starting from scratch and that's that just makes it expensive and and difficult and so I think more important than like I I think the the fan data and ownership needs to be baked into everything you do and you know email is like the easiest way and there's tons of ways to get emails and tons of tactics so like follow to unlock campaigns like um, selling on your own website using contests and incentives to sign up to emails um, like email gating your website with free demos that kind of stuff like I think that at the very like just at the very like base level getting email is really important because you can then do things like create lookalike audiences on paid like for paid um, social media which is then going to help you attract cheaper fans and so on Um, but also things like you can negotiate contact information from third parties so if you work with a merch company or a promoter or a ticket seller you can negotiate that into your contract of Trying to get um, contact information because the thing is, is like the artist is really the one that like fills the room and sells the music or that makes the music <clears throat> and brings the audience on social media. But they, if they're not get getting that information, they're not the ones that actually end up owning that relationship and building other people's businesses for them. So, yeah, I think it's, I that stuff gets me really, um, I think that's a really big issue and something that's yeah. not yet solved and i think it's so so important um but i think it's a lot it's really easy to just like look at two hundred and fifty thousand instagram followers and be like you know i'm, I'm sweet like that's you know, enough yeah. sailing yeah no well, it the, all changes like
0: we, yeah we definitely see i mean it's surprising how many artists that we've done work for and, and on the touring side they just don't they don't even ask for the data but it's it's surprising how many artists like don't even realize the importance of it um and i'm sure now they're starting to to really you know get the hang of it or realize how important that first party data is
1: yeah definitely and i i do hope it i hope it changes or like there's more platforms or platforms that are more willing to strike more like artist-friendly um agreements and stuff but um yeah email like that's really boring and but easy i think text too like um i mean this is more like us focus i don't think there's a sufficient solution for like worldwide so it's not so helpful for artists that have got you know fan bases all over the world but if you're in the us like text marketing um can be really helpful and really powerful too so i think just whatever whatever like i guess data point you're going to get pick pick one and then stick at it and continue to build that database um, kind of relentlessly with everything that you put out.
2: I definitely agree. I think the pandemic, uh, you know, sort of highlighted this even further where artists can't necessarily rely on their touring money and other standard forms of monetization. So everyone's sort of had a pivot. And I think everyone's now starting to wake up and realize, the value of the database um, and how that can translate to their success and potentially add years to their career moving forward.
1: Mm -hmm. So in
2: in that same vein, you know, during these last six months, what other channels or strategies have you seen artists get into in order to uh, increase revenue sources or or diversify the revenue sources?
1: Yeah, I mean, I think Patreon like made a, Made a lot of noise at the very beginning. I think in May, in uh, sorry March, when it, everything first started, I think it was like the statistic that was flying around was like thirty thousand new creators had joined the platform, and it seemed like everyone was starting a Patreon. Um, and I think that, like, I hope Patreon becomes like sustainable, and it it like make it excites me to see artists that are diversifying their revenue streams because of like you know, COVID showing us the gigantic flaws in the music business. But um, I don't think a successful Patreon presence is as simple as, like, signing up to a platform and making exclusive merch for your patrons. Like, I think it needs to... The the most successful artists that are on Patreon have that direct-to-fan ethos that runs through all parts of the business. So, like, Zola Jesus has got a great Patreon, but, like, every part of Zola Jesus's approach to the way she puts out music and interacts with their fans and um the products that she creates and everything is all centered around the ethos of like direct to fan um so i think i think patreon becomes more murky when you're working with when you have an artist who maybe um is signed to a label like i don't know that consumers are really cool with a patreon story running in conjunction with like a major label so like major signing headline like you know an artist that's got a huge advance also putting out their hand for money on Patreon I feel like that doesn't so much work and then also artists that work with have like lots of different uh, collaborators I think it starts to get murky so I think for some artists Patreon is really useful and helpful but it needs to extend past just like that as a platform but more as like I don't know I believe it needs to be kind of an ethos that runs through everything so it is you know, people are kind of people that are backing you um, feel it's authentic rather than just like jumping on it. Um, and I know a lot of artists too that were uncomfortable when, you know, when all the, when, at the beginning when all these artists were jumping on it and it was like, yeah, 30,000 new Patreons have signed up and everyone like, let's get a Patreon and stuff. And I know a lot of artists that were like, well, it feels kind of weird if we ask our fans to buy tickets from us and buy, albums from us and buy merch from us to then also subscribe to our patreon or people who are like it feels kind of like busking or it feels a bit like we've got a handout or that where you know a starving artist when well, we're not this kind of thing so i hope it works um but i think it's better suited to some artists than others
0: yeah it's it's also hard and, and i'm sure people don't realize until they get into it's like you it's a commitment like you have to right. dedicate a lot of content and a lot of time to it, um, in hopes of building up that, you know, hopefully your fan base will be like, yeah, I'll give you, you know, a few bucks a month, but I'm, I, I want content in return. So it's really like the payoff. Is it worth all that time? Could you be in the studio making music, um, or just, you know, promoting your music in general, kind of talk more about music release strategy and what you're very, um, privy to and what you write about and all your, Articles and deep cuts and we kind of want to just discuss like what are some, you know KPIs and tactics when you're running campaigns for artists and what really they should be looking out for if they're not aware Like what are the KPIs most important to a campaign like for a music release or an album release? Um, What do you like look for um, and what are those goals usually?
1: Mm, um, I think the KPIs entirely depend on the goals, and I hate it when people answer questions like that, so I'll I'll elaborate more. Um, But I think most artists and teams guide their campaigns by consumption, so, like, gross streams and sales. How many streams did we get this week? How many sales did we get this week? What's the overall number? Um, Where this can paint such a limited picture of what's truly going on in the campaign, and especially if you're coming from it from a marketing perspective, because... If you're a marketer or like if yeah if you're a marketer on the team you want to know that the game that you're playing is actually the right one before it's over so like you want to know if you've shot a music video for thirty five thousand dollars like you want to know that that was a good use of money and resources um but like gross sales and streams isn't necessarily going to be um going to give you that indication so If you lay out all these goals in the beginning, but you don't match the right KPIs. And more importantly, you don't have kind of the buy-in from all the stakeholders on those KPIs and it's useless laying out goals in the first place. So like, I'll give you an example. Um, Two campaigns I was working on at the same time were um, for Miramasa and for Nick Murphy. And so for Miramasa, he was a UK producer with the goal of crossing over to the US. Um, Whereas for Nick, he was changing his name from Chet Faker. So the goal for him was all and his campaign was all about a rebrand. So if we were looking at streams and sales on both these campaigns, from what all of the marketing strategies and the tactics were, it would have been so limited. So like for Miramasa, the the goal was crossover to the US. So the strategy was like put ASAP Rocky on a verse um, because he had such a huge US audience. So for him, the KPIs were going to be um, uh, like playlist reach because you wanted to be able to you wanted to be able to see that he um, was added to more US-centric playlists and also more hip hop, not just UK and dance, which is what he was generally in um, uh, radio audience, specifically urban radio, um, and then also territory growth in, in the US because. What we want to see is like are our efforts actually building him in the U.S. And so if you just look at sales and streams, it's not going to show you like what the actual U.S. strategy was. Whereas for Nick, on the other hand, um, he was rebranding himself into Nick Murphy. He was going to do this through a missing link, EP, an EP called Missing Link. Um, and so all the marketing was about. Um, brand perception. So, changing his name from Chet Faker to Nick Murphy, the objective was to bring all the fans over. So, the metrics for him would make more sense to be like sentiment, monthly listeners, and DSP followers, because you want to know like sentiment tracks, like what the fan and industry blowback on the name change was going to be, um, as well as like the audience adoption for the new Nick Murphy sound and profiles, which are going to lay the foundation for future releases. So, if you look at those two, you've got like the most important metrics being playlist reach, um, territory growth, and radio audience for one, and then um, sentiment monthly listeners and DSP followers for the other. And so those three KPIs ladder up to those specific goals, which all the team is kind of, is bought in on. And if you know what you're tracking, you know what you're measuring, you know what you're monitoring, then you can work back and go, okay, the marketing's working or marketing's not working, we need to try something else. Um, So I think it, yeah, it depends entirely on the goals that you set out but I think it's really important to first of all establish goals that everyone's agrees on and, bought and is bought in on because like I'm sure you've done this before where you like start working on campaigns and like, you think everyone's bought in on this goal and then halfway through it everyone's talking about sales and streams you're like wait what I thought we were doing well, aren't we talking about doing this um, so yeah setting out really clear goals marrying those KPIs to what those goals are and then getting all the key stakeholders on the project bought in on those KPIs and goals.
2: Yeah, definitely. And I also think it really informs uh, this question that we always get from artists is, you know, how much should we budget? And just like you mentioned, we have that really boring answer. Well, it depends on your goals, correct?
1: Yeah. (laughs) yeah.
2: (laughs) But, you know, it's true. It's like, you've really got to start from the onset with that brand strategy, with that marketing plan down, you've got to go in knowing what it is you want to achieve and that should inform your budgets. Obviously, it also depends on the platforms that you are using and the channels and the tactics. And you know, that only comes from experience and the, the goals really inform what the budget is. And on a more tactical level, would you say, for an up-and-coming artist is it better to niche down on a few locations and really hone in on their audience or should they just target nationwide and, and sort of go for those passive listeners who may have a chance of becoming part of their fan base
1: i think if you're just starting out i think you don't know who your audience is like you've got an idea and you got a hypothesis, but you have no you don't you couldn't You couldn't really say like who your fan is going to be um so i think starting broad and then and um, making sure that you're paying attention to the data and paying attention to like what's going on and what's going on in culture and and seeing um what you can kind of react on and where you can build it it is how i would approach a campaign then um like going really local or, or niching right down because i just think if, when you're first starting you got to try like you have to try so much stuff you you have to make small bets and experiment and see what works cuz you have no idea you have no idea like what channels and platforms are going to be really important dominant for you like how you're going to be associated who you're going to be associated with who notices you and stuff and yeah you might think that your sound is like you know critical like you know that you're going to be a critical darling but you might you know you might not know you like you know you just you just never know so i think you gotta yeah start broad and 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 react and jump on opportunities as they as they come up
0: and and that takes that takes money by the way um (laughs) (laughs) like unless you have loads of insights and data that some artists do um which Mm. is great it's a good starting point but then you're like you know you've one you have to spend A lot of money on the front then you got to scale back a little analyze what's going on see who what's working and then you know try again um which in the music industry every everyone wants it you know now 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 what are the results right um Mm. and it's hard to kind of set those expectations sometimes like look like you're not gonna get we're not gonna get a million streams the first week right it's kind of like a a learn and test and learn play um yeah unlike like i said unless you're a a bigger artist that has that data um readily available so that's definitely something interesting that we run into and i'm sure you run into all the time is is like really managing those result expectations
2: i think you you've also mentioned this before uh it's probably from another podcast amber but the fact that you're also going to get different results depending on what data sets you're looking at so the data from the DSP or the data from the artist touring or just the intuitive branding that you have on an artist so I, I think it's important to definitely have media in the market first and then sort of inform your decisions as you go along and optimize
1: absolutely um, but I think it's so it can be really difficult to do that especially when you over invest in kind of assets so if you over if you invest loads in a music video and then it doesn't do very well, but you still continue to put all your budget and resources behind trying to make it go without looking at something else that might work. Like it can be really difficult to detach um, from something that's not working and optimize. It requires, I think it requires you to have lots of different things going at the same time. So you're not so dependent and reliant and, and there's not so much pressure on one thing working one channel one tactic kind of working for you, but lots of different things. So you can kind of move on is important. For sure.
0: Well, um, I mean, I can speak for myself and I'm sure a ton of people would love to be in the position that you've been in with some of the artists that you've worked with. It'd be great to, to share some of your favorite campaign experiences, or maybe you have one in mind with a particular artist that really did numbers um, or it was just fun in general.
1: That I've worked on, yeah. That, that
0: you've worked on, yeah.
1: Yeah, yeah. Um, I have a few. So I worked last year with Elohim, who's an independent artist. Um, she put out an EP called Brain Dead, and she's a big advocate for mental health. And so we were coming up with different ways to um, not just talk about mental health, but actually give people resources and and tools, um, and you know, and and take action into trying to, um, you know, help people in with mental health issues. So um, instead of doing visualizers for her EP, we did um, a, basically a header up with a breathwork coach who developed a series of bespoke breathwork exercises based on each of the tracks. Um, and then they created a breathwork series um, that ran the, basically the length of the EP that was up on YouTube. And then they premiered that together At a festival um in the u.s through like a meditation workshop and it was just i don't know um she's just such a creative and, and thoughtful and beautiful artist it was it was just lovely working with her um i think another one too is i was working with um the there was an irish band called the academic or they there is an irish band called the academic and we were working on a campaign um This is a little while ago, Uh, but we basically um, came up with this idea, which was, like, this was 2017, so not a lot had been uh, Facebook Live had just kind of come out and not a lot had been done with it yet. And so what we did was they noticed that um, you could actually use Facebook Live, like, there's a lag in Facebook Live and you can set that lag. So, like, when cable news networks and stuff will um, they'll uh, you know those yeah yeah, yeah. Um, so you can set that and so we're like um, you can set it up to 30 seconds so we went back to the band and we told them that and we're like and we're trying to figure out we're trying to get this single to go at radio and we just needed you know when you work on a campaign and you just need those kind of like sparks to flames ideas that just kind of keep things going and keep the momentum about a track so this worked really well. So we went back to the band and we told them, you know, we can manipulate this Facebook live lag, go and um, like, let's create, like essentially use Facebook live as a loop pedal. So they went and they re like they redid their um, single as like a looping song. And then we <laughs> shot this video, which was really, this is gonna, I'm gonna, we're gonna have to link to this cause it's like quite technical. For sure. <laughs> it was it's, really this will it be in the description. <laughs> yeah. um, we shot a video which was just basically shooting back at Facebook Live. And so every 30 seconds a new layer would come up of the song. And so they performed the song live on Facebook Live using Facebook Live as a loop pedal. And then the music video was like this infinite, became this kind of infinite mirror. Each of the different um, loops had a different visual treatment. So as each loop was created, the song became more textured and the visual became more um, kind of vibrant and trippy. And anyway, um, we put it up, we did it on Facebook Live. I think, like, 300 people watched the Facebook Live. (laughs) We were like, well, that was fun. Um, And then we, like, we saw the video and we're like, damn, this actually looks really good. And so we chopped it up and put it up on their YouTube and just explained, like, we use Facebook Live as a loop pedal. This is what we did. Enjoy. Um, went to bed, then woke up and it was like trending number one on our videos on Reddit videos and like number three on the front page. And we we're like, oh my wow. God. And then the whole, like that next day we like jumped on that, started a paid, ca- like paid media campaign, um, you know, reservice like re-service press. Um, we had originally pitched Mashable on like, um, on covering it but they didn't never even wrote back and then they found it on reddit and wrote about it and then that that um article got like eighty thousand shares like these numbers were just insane and um and it was great we got to like a million views in a day um people loved it and um the cutest part about it was like i'm like i'm quite nerdy and so i was it was like the best day at work for me I was just like this thing it's just amazing and we emailed the band and they were just on tour and they were like they were just stoked to be on tour in the US and we're just like oh that's cool um but yeah that was I really liked that campaign because it was really cheap to do um it didn't it wasn't a big budget but it got huge numbers and it was creatively very fulfilling and the bandage you know so lovely and talent like it it wouldn't have worked had they not been able to create such an interesting version of that song um so yeah that was a really good one
2: we're gonna have to write that one down might have to steal that amber
1: <laughs> yeah go for it
0: <laughs> yeah well i mean i think it's uh, to really learn about the artists and really which is like a whole follower monthly listener issue like you really need to do like a, a deep dive visually and you ne- do need to have that creative direction from someone um whether it's you or someone on your team to help establish like what is this going to look like how are, you know how visually are people going to like perceive you um and i think it's a good way and a good example of like how important visuals accompanied with music are um mm-hmm. and you definitely mentioned a lot about having how important it is to have someone on your team that even with just an iPhone, can capture just visuals of you, right? So someone needs to know who you are as a person before they can follow you or be your friend. It's the same thing in in the music world and being an artist as well.
1: I I also would add to that that um, the reason why visuals are so important is because, or one of the reasons, um, especially in the music discovery phase is, and, and so if you're an artist that is just starting out and your main goal is like to amass fans, like, Um, our visual memory is a lot more powerful than our audible one. So if you discover or a new fan or new audience discovers your music through visuals, the ability to recall and remember your name and your song is going to be a lot uh, faster and quicker and stronger through a visual mode of discovery rather than an audible one. So if you were to hear a song on a Spotify playlist, um, the ability to recall is going to be less than if you were to see it on YouTube first. So I think that's another reason why visuals are so important. I mean, and and same with like carving out like what, what you look like and, and remaining consistent and all that kind of stuff is important, but it's also a memorability. Like the memorability cues is really critical.
2: This also goes back to the conversation we previously had about artists and generating content where, I think this extends past the music industry, but Ross and I always have this conversation where every company is sort of positioning themselves to become a media company nowadays. Everyone has to be churning out content. And for example, with Patreon, if you have that content and we have the ability to create this content via our phones, like something that's so close to us, mm. artists should definitely be hopping on this. and. Creating this content and figuring out how to monetize it, and more so recycling the content, using it in their cross-channel promotions. To a, as you mentioned, not only be visually present, but b fulfill those marketing circles where you're going to want your listener to see you on Facebook and Instagram, and hear you on Spotify, and re, uh, listen to deep dive videos to you on YouTube and podcasts, and all those touch points add up and they can really translate to you having a successful release date or or music strategy overall. So Amber, we are going to transition into a segment called Quick Shooters. Uh Um, Don't worry, no pressure. (laughs) It's basically just 45 seconds. I'm just gonna get my timer ready. Yep. And we're just gonna ask you a series of questions I want you to try not to think so critically of them. Mm-hmm. It's just really gonna be like the first thing that pops into your head and you answer. So we're gonna start off a little bit easy with just like, sure. and then the questions will progressively get more critical, I guess. You ready?
1: Do I get a, a score at the end of this? Or no,
2: but we, we might have like <laughs> <annoying> <laughs> Jeopardy music in the background. <laughs> <laughs> Whenever you're ready, Amber, let me know. Okay, I'm ready. Starting now. Sound charts or chart metric?
1: Chart metric.
2: Text blasts or email blast?
1: Uh email blast.
2: TikTok or thriller? TikTok. Apple Music or Spotify? Spotify. Facebook or YouTube ads? YouTube ads. Facebook Live or YouTube Live?
1: Facebook Live.
2: Best newsletter you're reading right now, you can't say you're on.
1: Um, oh, damn. Uh, I have so many. Uh, flow state. It basically gives you an email um, of like music to work to, and it's it's really nice. It's like composers, um, electronic artists. It's great, flow state.
0: And that wraps it up for episode number six on the lineup digital podcast. We want to give a big shout out to Amber for coming on. We hope you guys learned something. We sure did. As always, if you enjoyed the episode, please subscribe, follow, share on social. We'd really appreciate it. And we'll be here again for next episode.
2: All right, and we're out of time. <laughs>
1: oh, okay,
2: I <I'm laughs> go by really quickly, right?
1: <laughs> <laughs> yeah.
0: Awesome. Well, awesome, Amber. We uh, we definitely appreciate you coming on. Um, and we will plug all your one your course that you have coming up in the description, along with the Deep Cuts newsletter um, again, which everyone subscribed to. Um, and we're definitely we'll be looking forward to to more of the content that you're putting out and. Definitely, we'll be sharing on our socials. So everyone that doesn't get a chance to listen here, they would definitely see it on our socials.
1: Thank you so much. Thanks so much for having me.
0: Awesome. Thank
2: you for joining us. All right.